So Shamin Patel is an old friend of mine and has been a teacher for as long as I can remember. And she's always had like a great way of uh, expressing things um, so that people understand. And the thing I wanted her to explain to people now was how teaching should be treated um, in the midst of this pandemic. There's a lot that we're hearing from medical people. And when it comes to opening schools, the medical perspective is super important. But it's also important, I think, to hear from teachers who are often in the crosshairs of society's decisions um, and have to just kind of accept what comes to them. So with that, I bring you Shamim Patel. And if her students are listening, it's still Miss Patel to you. I think I got it all out on Twitter, so. Oh, you did? Yeah. Are you a big tweeter? Um, like in the last month and a half, I have been utilizing Twitter to, I guess, vent my rage, express my passion. Maybe that's a nicer way to say it. I typically like, I've had a Twitter forever and up until this point, the only purpose of my Twitter has been for me to monitor our politicians. Hmm. Um, since apparently that is their main mode of communication. <laughs> um, everyone in government, like not just Trump, um, everyone. So I'm like the best way for me to know what they're doing, what they're up to. Yeah. It's just to be on Twitter. So do, do you find that when you write um, on Twitter, people are actually responding to you and sharing things and interacting with you in a productive way? Um, yes. Before, like, my interaction with other people was pretty minimal. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a super following or any... Like, I hadn't bothered to follow anyone other than politicians on Twitter. Yeah. So, like, I wasn't... It's not like Instagram or Facebook where I'm, like, friending people. Yeah. I was just using it to to follow, like, public figures. Um, But then one of my tweets, like, a month ago went viral. So now people interact with me on Twitter, like, a whole bunch. Um. And wow, I, sh- I should interact back. Like, I'm not good at it because I've never used it for that. But I'm like, oh, when someone comments on a tweet, like, it would be nice of me to respond <laughs> to those types of things. Yeah. So I'm trying to, like, engage more with people. But Well, that's super cool. Yeah. Um, when you, now that you have, when you go viral, I'm sure you get good attention and you get bad attention. Do you get yeah. both? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, no, nothing. I've never got bad attention on Twitter. But, so, like, I had tweeted something it was a thread Mm. and then I had I had shared the Twitter thread Mm. on Facebook and um Instagram which is why I got attention because I have like zero following on Twitter right so (laughs) it never would have gone viral from Twitter alone um it went viral because of Facebook it was about the current situation with education and stuff so a few of my teacher friends were like oh my gosh this yeah and shared it and then like suddenly everyone's teacher friends were sharing it and then um, people were like, hey, my, like, cousins, brothers, nieces, you know, third cousin twice removed, like, post this on Facebook, do you know them? And I'm like, nope. And you've gone viral. And I was like, oh, wow. Guess I have. Um, That's awesome. So, yeah. And then because of that, like, a ton of people, my Twitter handle is up there, so a ton of people started following me on Twitter. Um, and then, like, I was just tweeting angry tweets, like, every day. Like, I didn't have an audience. I just go on Twitter and, like, say something. Now, like, people are paying attention to my angry tweets. I mean, I haven't changed my Twitter behavior. But yeah. it's weird knowing that, like, is it, is, it is it good? Is it good? I mean, because you, you've always done things kind of under the radar. And I wonder, like, if 
is it like you get, now you're checking your phone more, or is there like a sense that you owe owe the teachers of, of America like uh, the, a chance to voice their thoughts? Is that how you, yeah. you feel like the responsibility? That's been um, the notification thing has been really really problematic. Yeah, like before I just like did stuff and you know mm-hmm. people didn't really like it or comment on it. Like I just did it to do it because I felt like doing it, <laughs> and there was there was no nothing followed up after that other than like you know every once in a while your friends are like oh you know this resonates with me or whatnot um but now like it's you know my instagram mainly is just like continuously blowing up Hmm. um so it's really hard for me to manage just just my phone i feel like i have to look at it because my phone's always lighting up no matter what I'm doing. Yeah. And the it's not so much like if people like stuff. Like, that's fine. I can ignore that. But it's more like when people are commenting or a lot of people are, you know, direct messaging me. Mm. And and then I feel like I have to answer, like, um, three days ago, um, a teacher in Massachusetts who's six months pregnant uh, DM'd me. And she was like, hey, I read this article that you posted on Medium that went viral. And mm. I just wanted to know if you could give me some advice on how to talk to my administration because we're going back in person and I am terrified about, you know, starting school when I'm basically seven months pregnant. And she was like, can you help me come up with a statement that I can present to my administration? Mm. And I was just like, um, wow. I'm nobody. Like, <laughs> why are you asking me? But I don't want to be rude. So I was like, well, I'm going to try to imagine what I would say if I were seven months pregnant right now. Um, and it worked. Like, she took it to her administration and they were really really receptive so that's awesome but it's stuff like that where i'm like oh my gosh i i now have a responsibility to well, be that's... like i opened this door so like i can't just ignore people now um so that's kind of overwhelming sometimes where, where can i find you on twitter where can people find you oh my twitter is at mimi cat mimi cat yeah with a c-a-t right yeah see i wasn't planning on anything yeah, right. knowing me or following <laughs> me so even my twitter handle is like dorky okay so i'm trying to find which which is the tweet that went viral so um there are two one is a serious one and one was a a funny one mm-hmm. so the serious one which was attached to an article that um got uh, featured by Medium, which was super exciting. I was more excited about that, honestly, than than the tweets. But that was uh, called, oh, Lord. Look, I don't even know how to navigate Twitter. That's how <laughs> sad this is. I'm like, I just know how to hit the tweet button. How do I find my whole tweets, okay? <laughs> I think you have to go to the top and it says tweets. Yeah, got it. I've clearly tweeted, like, so much. So now I'm hunting for this tweet. But it was a thread about how I felt like parents and teachers were being pitted against one another. Uh-huh. And in my opinion, I think that that was... This is, I, I, what I'm about to say is going to make it sound like I thought it was a conspiracy theory. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I just think that it was a very good strategy mm. that the government and whoever else was invested in schools reopening was using in order to achieve what they wanted like if we made it seem like teachers didn't care about students or you know the massive strain that was placed on parents when we went virtual in the spring Mm -hmm. then parents would join the rest of the country in being really angry at teachers and then we could just like pin this whole thing on teachers 
So right. the tweet was like kind of my assessment of the situation and like offering empathy to parents. I just wanted them to know like none of this is about us not caring about what parents are going through. It's the exact opposite. Like mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis, my job is to care about children and their families. That hasn't changed. Like right. I don't care about them less. And, and the motivation for saying that I want to keep schools closed in addition to protecting my own life is to protect their lives. Like, it is about taking care of this group of people. So the thread was just, like, expressing that it's really dangerous if we allow the two pe- groups of people who I think are most invested in the well-being of children, parents and teachers, it, it it's, would be a tragedy if we weren't working together on this one. Yeah. Um, I found it, by the way. I found a tweet. Oh, cool. Parent, hi. I was told I can opt my child out of being in person at school if I don't feel comfortable. School, yes, you can. We care about your safety. Parent, I'd like to opt him out then. School, sure. Your child's name? Parent, Miles Davis. He teaches third grade. School, silence. Yeah. (laughs) That was was the funny one then that took off and the greatest part of this is so i tweeted that like fairly late at night Mm. right before i went to bed i was just like in a mood again not expecting anyone to respond to it and samir was right there and he read it he was like yeah that's not that funny (laughs) (laughs) so we had a good laugh about about that afterwards it's amazing how this medium even works you know because i'm going back you have you actually have something of a following even before this but um the way that things go viral is it's actually, I guess, it's uh, yeah. how it's going viral in, in many ways in this country right now. People are just catching things, you know, whether they're ideas yeah. or diseases. Um, that's really cool. I'm glad that this message is what got out there, though, because... Yeah, um, me too. You know, I don't know, like, we were talking before, um, and I think that there is a lot of weird, weird um, authority being assumed by medical people on this front and i don't know that we necessarily have the right to say things that we say just because we studied something other than what's happening right now you know and specifically you know pediatricians and psychiatrists we have a lot to add to the conversation certainly but we Mm -hmm. also have a lot to listen to in terms of people who are um in a very different setting that still is affected just as much you know and sure. the kind of demands that are being placed on teachers, we we never knew those. We never knew that conversation. You know, it was right. never part of the conversation. You know. Yeah. Um, and the heroism that they that they have to uh, they have to embody on a daily basis is it's never really the subject of a, a of a national crisis the way that medical people have a moment the way we do now. You know, so I think yeah. that we have to be careful whenever we talk about it. Um, and and I think that what is it? I think there's a lot of stuff that isn't ironed out yet, and I think that the fact that it's not ironed out yet should mean that we lean in the direction of what we do know, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's that's my big thing. Like, I would love to. I would love to be wrong. Like, it would it would be awesome to open schools and nothing happens and I will welcome all of the like haha we told you so you were scared great like I don't have to die my kids that's awesome I would love for that to be the case I'm just I'm just not willing to take the risk for it not for that not to turn out that way um 
And so the video that you sent me yesterday, which, like, I, I really had to grit my teeth to listen to. Yeah. Um, had to, you know, call on all my social emotional skills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to get through it. Um, because I, I'm not going to dismiss, like, there was definitely value in some of the things that were being said there. I think... Unfortunately, one of the most irksome aspects of the video was like really early on. So it turned me off immediately, which is Mm. why it was such a struggle. But I absolutely was not a fan of how uh, when it opened and I don't I don't remember the doctor's name. I feel bad. But when he was introducing his guest, uh, Dr. Epstein, he was like, Dr. Epstein, tell everyone why you are perhaps the most qualified person to be speaking about this. And I was like, really? (laughs) He's not. He's not qualified at all. Mm. Um, and so as soon as I heard that, I was like, wow, I'm totally tuning out. But then, you know, I didn't tune out. I stuck it out and listened. Um. So, what, so for people who are listening, what we're talking about is a video Dr. Mike did with a, uh, it was like a pediat- pediatric uh, intensivist, I believe, if, not, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, or I, pediatric, yeah, pediatric specialist of some kind. And he yeah. was being interviewed in the capacity of uh, like what's on the front lines as far as uh, children being affected with COVID nineteen yeah. and how that should affect opening schools. Um, it was a it's a pretty nuanced conversation, and that's kind of why I brought um, my friend Shamim is because she's a teacher and she's been on the front lines of education for a long time. What do you think, Shamim? Um, what do you th- what would you have to say to parents who are like, I can't do this anymore? Ah. <sighs> uh. I, I have a parent who has said this to me, and it's that is the worst part of it. Like, that is what I struggle with, not having a good answer to that question, especially because... So, to the parents who are like, I can't do this anymore, but totally can, I'm I, my answer is, you're gonna, I feel like you need to suck it up because this is a really high-risk situation. And there's definitely plenty of those parents, so I'm not speaking about those parents right now. Mm. Um, I'm speaking about primarily low-income families uh, for whom, well, either there's multiple issues there. Like, they really, really have to go to work, mm. and they cannot be home to monitor th- their children or support their children with an education. And, like, there's too much at stake for them on yeah. that end. So that's in between a rock and a hard place. Like, do I not survive or do I not survive? <laughs> Which one is it? Yeah. Um, that's really awful. And then also the fact that, like, so the, the parent that I had this conversation with, actually this conversation took place in May uh, when I was having end-of-year parent-teacher conferences. Mm. And it was uh, with one of my non-English speaking parents. And she just burst into tears uh, on our virtual parent conference. And she was just like, our school's opening in the fall. And obviously it was May, so I had no idea. And in retrospect... I was like, that's a while away. Like, I am sure things are going to be different <laughs> by then. Because I really was. And now I'm thinking about that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that we're here. And really nothing's changed. If anything, it's gotten worse. So yeah. um, she was just talking about the fact that she's got three kids at home. And she's not working outside the home. Uh, her husband is working. So it's this isn't an issue of her not physically being able to be there or the kids not being able to have an adult. Uh, just to take care of them at home. But she was just saying, like, my children rely on you guys so much. And she was like, I'm not stupid, but I don't know English. And so I cannot support them academically 
Mm-hmm. And I want my kids to be successful. Like, that's why we came to America. Uh, we wanted our children to, to get a good education and to be successful. And I am feeling an immense amount of guilt. Like, it's my fault that my kids are falling behind because I try to sit there and I try to listen to the live lessons, but like, I don't understand what you guys are saying. I can't always read the assignments and like my older daughter can, so she can help my son. Her, the son was in my class and she was like, but then like my older daughter has stuff to do too. So is it responsibility of an older sibling to manage a younger sibling's education? Like, because there's a language barrier with the parent. And then she was just like, even if we put all of that aside, like, let's just say, I find a way to make it work or I do ask my older daughter to support the little one with school. Um, He's an emotional wreck. Mm -hmm. And so I was really taken aback to hear this because I was seeing this baby on live video every day. He was always like he seemed like his usual self, how I knew him to be in the classroom, like funny, quirky, like a little mischievous, um, but really bright, excited, eager to participate to me, it all felt the same. And she said that stuff at home had been awful. Apparently, anytime he wasn't on the video call mm. with me in the class, he was having really severe anxiety and nightmares. He wasn't sleeping. Uh, he was breaking out into hives, which apparently the doctor said was from stress. Mm. And he'd lost his appetite and he would have these like, crying spells and he was just begging to go back to school. And... I was mortified when she told me that. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I was like, we have to find a way to get back to school. Mm-hmm. Like, we, can, how, we cannot ask. We cannot put any parents in this situation. We cannot put any children in this situation. Um, like, we, we have to go back. And, you know, my husband was like, that's crazy. It, it, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You guys can't go back. And I was like, no, I know that we can't. But... Like somehow we just yeah. we just have rock to and it. hard place yeah yeah and I don't have a good answer for that like at the end of the day I still feel like I have to sit here and say <clears throat> if we're not managing the pandemic and there's this many unknowns we can't reopen schools because if I think about it and I had to put the two worst possible situations in mm-hmm. my head which is the current situation mm-hmm. this child is obviously having super negative impact of being home and out of school on his mental health and perhaps on his physical health too yeah i don't know and then the other alternative is like say we go back and say him or one of his sisters or his mom or his dad were to die of coronavirus yeah which one's worse which one's worse and there's 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 not a number on this but there's some number of teachers that will die yeah, yeah. It's that's, true. It's just, it's just a matter of truth. It's not a matter of yeah. if, but it's a matter of how many. Yeah. And if I think about that, like, like again, just putting it in the situation with my own kids, the, the biggest thing that my kids said constantly when we were virtual is, I miss you, I want to see you again. Mm-hmm. When do I get to come back to school and when do I get to see you? Yeah. And I was like, what if we came back and I died? Mm. You didn't say that, though. No, no. But in my <laughs> head, I was thinking it, like... As a child, you're not going to have that foresight, right? You're just like, I'm not at school and I don't get to see a grown-up that I love. Like, I just want to be there and see a grown-up that I love and it's all better. And I'm like, what if coming and seeing the grown-up that you love ended up with the grown-up you love dying? Like, what if that happened? Yeah, that's like that's like a Lion King level tragedy. 
Yeah, and the thing is, it's going to happen, like mm-hmm. you said. For some, in some classrooms, it will definitely happen. And I imagine, like, just knowing my own kids' personalities, and I imagine countless other teachers knowing mm-hmm. their kids' personalities. Like, I definitely have kids in my class who would blame themselves for that. Mm-hmm. Like, they would take full responsibility for my death upon <laughs> themselves. I have kids that are torn up if, like, they think I'm the slightest bit upset and it has nothing to do with them. Yeah. It, they, they will be, like, crushed and it will feel irreparable until I can convince them mm. that I'm not mad and it doesn't have anything to do with them. And it's not their fault. Like, if I am mad, I have to be like, I'm a person. I have feelings. Mm. I express feelings just like you guys express feelings. Mm. And it doesn't always have to even do with stuff that's at school. Like... It might not even be about you guys. They're, like, certain that if I'm unhappy, it's com- th- completely their fault. Um, so if they even feel that way about my emotions, yeah. I'm just like, if I died and then you're smart, kids. You're like, this happened because we came back to school during coronavirus. Like, yeah. am I the I'm the one that gave my teacher coronavirus. Mm. Like... <clears throat> yeah, that's a, lot to, that's a lot to think about for a child. And if... And if uh, I mean, even if they're not as socio-emotionally intelligent as your kids are, it's a lot for uh, kids to deal with. Let's say they don't get their kid, their 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 teacher sick, they get their parents sick. That's also yeah, a heavy thing yeah. to bear. Um, and even for me as the teacher, like I have been thinking about this, if I go and I'm fine mm-hmm. and one of my students dies or uh, one of their family members dies, like I'll sit there and think I should have fought way harder. Mm-hmm. Like, it's my fault. Why did I agree to this? Like, I could have stopped it. And I should have spoken up more and done something. Like, if I had done that... It's not even, it's not even speaking, right? It's, it's also like, yeah. so much of your classroom, you've already told me before, is that is is of your own design. You have to put yeah. your own money and time and heart into your classroom. There's no doubt that a lot of the hygiene of your room will be your responsibility. It's not, it's, it's, there's yeah. no doubt about that. So... You know, yeah, like the custodians will come in at the end and beginning of the day, but between classes, you know, after lunch, these are these are times where it'll fall on you to kind of like think about CDC guidelines. Really, that's yeah. part of your job now. You know, it's yeah. that's a lot to deal with for sure. Um, yeah, I wonder if you've noticed among your parents of your of your students mm-hmm. any kind of creative strategies towards this weird situation that's that have been good for them and their kids, like teaching wise. Um, babysitting wise (laughs) (laughs) so with some of my parents like they've just wanted to know what can I most of my parents even if they feel the need to for schools to reopen are like no I have your back I will never support anything that could potentially put you in danger I'm extraordinarily lucky to Mm -hmm. have families who like desperately need their children to be in school that are still like no it's fine whatever you need like mm-hmm. we support you. That's that's really amazing, and I'm grateful for that. Mm. Uh, but a lot of the the parents have said, you know, and I offered a ton of resources before school was out for the summer, yeah. and I've kept in contact with all of my families over the summer. But I'm usually sending them things like, oh, here's a fun video or games you can play or like a scavenger hunt you can do at home. Mm. And most of them are just like, yes, send me all the things. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have any ideas of what I can do, I'm open to that. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, I just I just try to keep them as occupied as possible, especially because 
Summer is usually rough on families anyway, like a normal summer. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be real. Most parents are not, don't have to be saddled with their children like nine months out of the year. Right. And it's weird when you have to be with them all the time uh, over the summer. So that's typically already somewhat of a, a challenge for a lot of parents to have to deal with. Because, you know, they're still working. Nothing else in their life has changed. So yeah. uh, I try to do as much of like, yes, we're not, school's not in session, but here are as many resources as possible to help keep the kids entertained and hopefully still learning. And yeah, like the parents are definitely all over that. They're really excited. I did for a while. I'm not doing them anymore, but I was doing we uh, daily read alouds and for my kids and posting read aloud videos just so it would feel like we were interacting somehow because we weren't in the yeah. classroom. And that's something that my family's really enjoyed. So Things like that. Yeah, not gonna lie, I, I watched some of those too, you know, just to <laughs> kind of, I, was, I forgot how nice it was to listen to a story that I knew was gonna end in a good way instead <laughs> of uh, with something awful like, uh, you know, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, deny all aid, you know, <laughs> or, <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, tear gas pro- protesters. This is how every story ends these days, so it's nice to. It's nice to see yeah. a story that ends nicely, you know. <laughs> I'm sure the kids appreciate that too and the parents. Um, yeah. I wonder also kind of how, as a teacher, if you're feeling efficacious, like even though you're not in a classroom, like your theater, do you feel like, you're, do, you, do you feel like the creativity you're called upon to um, use in this kind of situation makes up for the fact that you're not doing exactly what you expected to be doing this year? Uh, <clears throat> it's like a roller coaster. There are moments where, you know, I think of something cool or fun or engaging to do that translates well online. Yeah. Typically it's when like I find a way to do something online that we were doing in the classroom. That's always when it's the most exciting where I'm like, yes, we didn't lose out on this. You know, I am basking in the moment right now because I figured out a way to make this still happen even though we're not in the classroom and mm-hmm. we're fine. Like, this is this is not going to be a big deal. Like, virtual learning is going to be great. Yeah. And then I'll sort of live in that space and then be like, no. Who am I kidding? <laughs> it's totally not be. Or like, yes, like, my kids can now do this fun center virtually, but also... I really actually have no good way to teach guided reading online and we all know how much that's going to affect them academically and then I'll just it'll just like you know come crashing down right. when I realize those sorts of things or like even like in the spring fourth quarter is like a big important time it's where you're tying up the loose ends like yeah. getting kids really ready to go to the next grade and you, we always end third quarter with a massive planning day of like let's evaluate all the data in progress so far and like it's crunch time Hmm. whatever hasn't been accomplished thus far must be accomplished Hmm. before the year ends and then it literally like fourth quarter started right after spring break so we went home third quarter ended spring break started and the day after spring break started everything shut down yeah and like in that moment, wondering, wait a minute, we made all of these plans of things we absolutely have to get done by the first week of June, and I have no idea how I'm going to get all those things done. <laughs> and then there was the whole messaging of like, oh, well, this is an emergency situation. Like, no one's expecting for 
necessarily you guys to do all of these things and then you know on a national stage like from state to state like end of year testing requirements were waived they were like don't worry you don't have to retain anyone we're not penalizing anybody grades aren't for real and I was like wait so I see the importance of that because we don't want to stress people out yeah but also no like they're not ready for the next grade (laughs) Like, that's the elephant in the room, right? right? And then I'm like, and when this is better, then what? Correct. Like, there's not going to be a transition. Like, we waived the testing requirements this year, and then we understand, like, it was nutty, so we're going to, you know, slowly mm-hmm. ramp back up into it. No, you're not. You're just going to turn all the requirements back on again, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to ha- be expected to work magic in a really short period of time right? Or, to get or, kids ready or, again. Or whenever you get your first graders. Are you, what, what grade are you teaching now? So I have been teaching first grade for a while, but because of the pandemic, I asked to move up to second grade so I could stay with my kids because okay. I just felt like consistency would be good for them. Well, that's what I was going to say. So, so like, yeah, yeah, you'll get to, to keep them, but you'll get, you're going to inherit a bunch of kindergartners who don't know anything, you know, <laughs> who are supposed <laughs> yeah. to be on, you know, this is where I don't know what I studied in school. They're supposed to be on <laughs> numbers and they're still on letters, you know, yeah. and you're like, that's not a, it's not a two. You know? Um so that, yeah. yeah, I guess that'll be hard. I mean, because that's true of any grade, like five going to six yeah. and six going to seven, you know? Um, right, like we have end of year benchmarks for every grade and I, I probably, except for kids that were already on or above grade level mm-hmm. before everything went virtual, mm-hmm. like I would imagine with all of the other kids that were not at that point by the end of their third quarter-ish, mm-hmm. uh, there's some challenges there. Plus, plus the summer slide that always happens, like... Mm. That didn't go away. Mm. Like we ended the year not at the rigor we wanted to be at, and then we released kids to like three months of no school. Right. So right. And not really. So they're going into a summer that isn't really the same kind of vacation. Like they're not going to right. de-stress by hanging out with friends or going to camps. Yeah. They're just stay, sitting at home watching TV, right? So Basically. it's like it's, yeah. it's a difficult. It's a difficult thing, but I wonder, is there anything that that came out of this techno, technologification of education that is going to stick, do you think? I hope so. I mean, for me, I feel like it is. Yeah. I hope that like all teachers feel that way. Uh, yeah. There's so many things where I was like, man, why weren't we doing this in the classroom all this time? Yeah. Uh, one of the big things that I talked to my principal about actually is, uh, so we spend like a ton of money as do does every school district in the country on paper mm. like the amount of the budget that is allotted for printers what is printer the percentage repair. um so all i know and maybe this wasn't right like my maybe my principal threw it out to threaten people to stop printing so much but he was like you know we've already this is a couple years ago it was like we've already spent like three hundred thousand dollars on paper this year and i was like what <laughs> three hundred thousand dollars on paper and then that's not including ink and I mean, the bane of every teacher's existence is the copy machine. It's mm-hmm. always breaking. Yeah. Like, there's always someone in there trying to fix it. They never want to buy a new one, which I get. They're so yeah. expensive. Yeah, they are. Um, and I was thinking, like, we just went paperless for 10 weeks. Mm. My kids had assignments in every subject every day. Like, assignments that were properly assessing them on content. The, mm-hmm. the, the Google quizzes and the Google forms. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't skimp on anything. I could create anything I'd want to put on a worksheet. I can make it digitally. 
N. Yeah. I was like, think about how we could be reallocating our budgets for additional resources. Like we could actually one-to-one with Chromebooks if we weren't spending so much money on paper and ink. And lights. And, yeah. yeah. Right? And air conditioning. Yes. I mean, these are yeah. huge. So much money that we could save or just like think about how we want to do things differently. So um, I definitely was like, I want to find a way to continue to use Google Classroom and um, and Google Forms and things like that. And even just thinking about going back into the classroom and, you know, potentially having to be paperless. You don't want to be papers gross in at least in lower elementary classrooms. I don't know what it's like in middle school and high school, but like paper usually has tears and snot and spit mm. and like I had my fingers in my mouth and then on my pencil. A lot of people go like, like this. They did, they did that business where they yeah, lick their that, finger. And right. It's it, not know. very sanitary. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming, you know, we'll try to limit paper as much as possible initially, even when we get back into the classroom. And Is I it a when and not an if? Do you know if you, you guys have decided to go back um, at a particular date? Yes, we are going to spend our first quarter 100% virtual, and then we will be back in the building 100% in October. October, okay. Yeah. Hmm. So we'll do one quarter online, and then uh, when second quarter starts, our families will still have the option to opt out. Like, if they don't feel comfortable sending their kids back, they don't have to. There'll be a virtual But you don't have that option. No. Um, Hmm. Do back. So... That's super interesting. This is a super interesting conversation. I don't know enough about how that side of things goes. And um, I just, I don't, never really felt like teachers had enough of, of a bargaining chip in this conversation. You know, I don't know what it is, but, yeah. you know, people love to throw around teachers to come election season, but nothing really happens to teaching. Yeah. You know? I always want to believe, it's just such a good thing to talk about to get yourself elected. And so, people ask me that they're like oh you know such and such candidate said this and that about education like you must really support that and I'm like yeah I mean I support it but also literally everyone said that Mm -hmm. that's run for anything Mm -hmm. and no one's actually ever done anything because I think what people forget is it's not just the politician like people need to be voting on a local level this is like other citizens Mm -hmm. if my if my neighboring citizens don't care about education nothing's happening Right. For us in right. education. Um, so th- that that takes everyone. I feel like that's why it doesn't happen. That's true. It's a, it's a fundamentally local issue. Even your house yeah. is what pays for the school that you live next to, you know? So Right. So, you yeah. know, and then you're like finding to keep your taxes down, which I get. Like, I don't love how much money comes out of my already very small paycheck to go to taxes. Like, I, I get the feeling of that. But, you know, some of those taxes go to education. So mm. if... And then, and then, you know, like state budgets, they you know pull funding out of education to fund something else that's really important. And, you know, mm. if those things don't change, then. Yeah, it'll be it'll be difficult to, to move this thing. Yeah. yeah. I just want to ask you one more question, which is mm-hmm. if, if there's a patient, if there's a parent out there who's like, you know, my kid used to be happier at school and Mm -hmm. I'm having trouble being my kid's friend and his parent and his Mm -hmm. teacher. Um, How, how can they kind of embrace some of this, uh, these multiple roles without um, kind of grading too much on their own mental health? Sure. Um, It's like, first I want to acknowledge that because it's real and I think part of the stress that a lot of parents feel is not being acknowledged. I know 
there's a tendency I thought this as a teacher where like you say anything about how it's hard and people are like well that's your job you signed up for that and I think it's it's the worst with being a parent right like if you say anything that's hard with your child they're like wow that was totally your choice to bring a human into the world like you did that don't complain about it right. and so that's awful because just because you made a choice to do something doesn't mean it's easy to do all the time Um, or that there aren't like external circumstances that you didn't sign up for, that you didn't choose that impact your ability to be a parent. So I just want to acknowledge that that is really valid. And, um, and I don't, I don't know that there's a quick fix, honestly. So like when I have to play multiple roles with children, like I can't always be their friend Mm. or, and when I'm playing the role of a parent, you know, like I can't always be the parent and I have to switch between these roles and I'm struggling with doing that, my first method of handling that is being transparent with the children. Like letting them know, here's a problem that I'm having right now. Here are the different things that I'm dealing with and here's why it's hard for me. Um, I think naming that is important because we ask children to name that, right? Like don't just stew about your problem and have a reaction and I'm not a mind reader. Use like your words. Say that. Yeah, we say that to children all the time. So when I'm having a problem and I'm getting frustrated, I try to like dial it back and be like, okay, I am frustrated. You're right. You guys can already see it on my face and hear it in my voice. Let me tell you why I'm frustrated. Um, that already, like in my personal experience, is pretty magical in and of itself because I really think that your children, especially as parents, your children love you. Even when you do the wrong thing and say things you shouldn't say or are too tough on them, the great thing is that they love you. Um, you have that have that going for you. It's unconditional. It's really difficult to get your ch- child to stop loving you as a parent. Um, you know, that takes years and years of really problematic behavior. So <laughs> presumably most of, most parents are not doing that, um, I like to think. So the great thing there is like you can make a mistake and you can say that you're struggling and you're going to get most likely a positive response from your child, especially if you're vulnerable with them. Right. And they're like, oh, you know, my mom's not just being mean. Right. Like my mom is having a hard time with something. Um, right. It, it decenters them, right? Children also, you know, have a tendency to, tendency to think that like everything that's happening around them is because of them Mm -hmm. um you know haven't necessarily developmentally arrived at like having perspective or being able to see other sides Mm -hmm. so it's important to let them know that and i think once they realize like i it's not me i'm not in trouble i didn't do something wrong this is like someone i love and care about that's having a problem they automatically go into problem solving mode and even if none of the solutions they come up with are particularly effective, like then they're compassionate. They have empathy. When you they see you make that face or have that struggle, they're like, are you okay? Like, mm. is there something I can do? So I think like partnering with your child and saying like, you've never done this before and I've never done it before. Like, have we ever done school at home? No. Have I ever been a teacher? No. Have you ever had to sit with me all day and learn from me? No. Like this is new for both of us. So rather than feeling like it's, I know a lot of parents have felt it's like me versus my child. It's not. It's a really uncomfortable at times new experience that you guys are both dealing with together. Like they're not necessarily having the most fun time. Like they want to be with their friends. They want to see their teacher. A lot of children lash out at parents like, you don't know what you're talking about. That's not what my teacher said. You don't even know what you're doing. Um, So I think like acknowledging that it's something that you're both struggling with together is really helpful. I think asking your child 
to help you problem solve is a great thing to do. Mm. Like, clearly this isn't working or like you and I have gotten to an argument every single night at the dinner table trying to do math homework or whatever it is. How, what can we do to make this better? Like, it, how can we work on it together? It's a problem that we're both having. So I think... And even if they're young, like I know there's probably people who will listen to this and be like, well, my child's five or six, you know, it's not like I have a high schooler. I can't do that. I actually think it's still really, really effective Hmm. with young children. Sometimes I think more effective than older children because sometimes older children don't want to sit down and have a conversation with you about this. Um, But I find that that younger children tend to be tend to be more willing, like they they want it to work and they're willing to do do their part. Mm -hmm. Um. As long as they feel like you're working together, right? Like one of the things that makes younger children especially the most upset is like feeling ganged up on by adults Mm. or feeling targeted by adults, especially adults whose approval and affection and love they're seeking. Mm -hmm. Like they want you to be happy with them. They want to know that they're helping and contributing and not making your life difficult either. So I would really, really encourage parents who are struggling with juggling the roles to have conversations with their kids. If there are times that parents can't be available, that's fine, actually. Just name that. Mm. Like, then your kids don't feel unheard or they don't feel abandoned. Like, you're not actually abandoning them. You presumably have a full-time job, and that's a very real thing. And your kids do have to understand that, like, there are things that you need to do that are not helping them with their homework or giving them attention that they ordinarily would have gotten from another adult or from friends that you're having to do now. But I think like being transparent about that, like from X time to X time, here's what I have to be doing. Here's why I have to be doing it. Like, Mm. this is why it's important. Um, I know a lot of my kids have, you know, come to school crying at times, really upset with their parents. And when they tell me what happens, it's like the parent just having to do life. And it's just that the kid doesn't, like, no one explained that to them. Um, And and it's just a matter of me saying, like, well, do you know why? Like, your dad didn't come home until 2 o'clock in the morning. And when I'm like, this is your dad's job, like, explain to them what a graveyard shift is. Like, can you imagine if we had to be at school until 3 o'clock in the morning doing our work? Would you want to do that? And they're like, no, that's awful. And I'm like, that's what your dad has to do at his job. And then they're just like, oh my gosh, my poor dad. Like, this isn't about me at all. Like, he wants to be home. He does not want to have to be working in the middle of the night. He's literally doing it so that I could, you know, get that toy I wanted from the Target dollar section. Um, And just like that sort of frame. Like, most parents are really, really doing the best that they can. And their kids just, you know, don't have enough life experience to know the ins and outs of it. So tell them. Like they just they just need to know. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I think the coolest thing for a kid to have, even if it's like just on a random on a random whim for a parent to say, Hey, can you help me with this? And in that moment, even if they're not capable of being of any insistence at all, they'll think, Oh my gosh, maybe maybe next time they'll ask the same question. Yeah. What what would I have to gain between now and then to be able to rise to that occasion? Maybe it's like right you know, maybe I wake up a little earlier or maybe I clean up a little sooner. You know, that kind of thing occurs to a child and it's like the beginning of planning in an executive adult way and that's super cool. Um, yeah. And I'm so, also so glad that, you know, like, it means a lot, I think, that you're able to articulate exactly the struggles of parents. 
you know, because I think so much of what people are fighting about these days is they think the people who don't agree with them or have another viewpoint than them don't understand what they're going through. You yeah. Know? And to, just yeah. to be able to say, like, listen, here's what's going on. I see what you're going through. I can maybe even articulate what you're going through better than you can because I've seen many, many versions of you. You know, right. and I'm, I'm, I've lived in a, my, my role is basically to solve this problem multiple times over every day. And so I hear you. Um, that means a lot. And I think that's, that's great that we get to hear that. Um, yeah. That's all I have, Shamim. Any, anything oh. you want to add for the audience? Um, no, just, I would just want people to know that, I think it goes back to what you said, just remembering that uh, this is a really challenging time in many different ways for many different people. Mm. And even if you don't understand their challenges, what you can probably imagine is that if it has been super problematic for you in some ways, it has probably also been super problematic for other people, um, even if it's, it's not in the same manner. So I would just, as hard as it is and as stressed and tired as most people are, I would just encourage people to be open-minded. Um, and especially when it comes to, to children, Remember that like a lot of what we as adults are going through, we have age and experience and some knowledge base to deal with what's going on. Um, you know, we ask questions like, why are we still home? Why aren't things being managed well? When is coronavirus going to be over? Right. And we ask those questions, like knowing all the things that we know. So I think it's really important for us to remember that as long as kind of our life circumstances are changed, our kids are operating with a lot less understanding of what's happening. So like also be gentle with them and and compassionate of the ways that they might decide to cope with their frustration or their lack of understanding. And whenever possible, you know, mitigate that lack of understanding, like answer their questions or tell them you're confused too. Like be like, same here. I have no idea what's going on. And isn't that a really like icky kind of space to be in where we don't know what's happening? Um, I just think communication is is really important. And, and it will help to sort of quell some of those rough feelings that, that we all are experiencing. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we're all in this together. Uh, we can find Shamim at live from first grade on Instagram and at Mimi Cat, that's M-E-E-M-I-E-C-A-T on Twitter. Thanks, Shamim. Thanks so much, Anand. As always, thank you for listening. Um, you guys make this show possible and exciting to do. And as we kind of move through this pandemic, a lot of this stuff will seem to age very quickly. <laughs> so... I hope we stay current, and I hope you keep us current by giving us more and more stories to tell. As always, share it if it's a perspective that means something to you, and remember to speak up.